Well, the first look at the selection committee's top 16 teams had the Zags on the four line. Let's take a look at some potential matchups now that we are less than one month away from the big damp. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. All right, we are talking NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. We're talking about the seeds. We're talking about some potential matchups for the Zags. Folks, it's almost March. We are getting there so close. Many of you listening to this here on the 22nd of February. That's about a week out. That's it. February short month. We're almost there. Best month of the year is right up to us. And as we talked about on Tuesday's episode, the Zags seem to be peaking at just the perfect time. We'll see if they can keep that momentum up against San Diego on Thursday. And of course, the big one, college game day, Saturday evening, McCarthy Athletic Center, Zags Gale is going to be an absolute blast. But we're going to talk much more about that game leading up to it. But today I kind of want to focus on what we saw from the selection committee's reveal on Saturday showing the top 16 seeds as they are right now. Of course, this is kind of a fun exercise to, to generate some content, some controversy, some conversation. Of course, things change dramatically even in the last few days of the regular season, quite honestly, but certainly the last couple of weeks, we'll see a lot of things kind of change. But I had a handful of spillover mailbag questions that I did not get to on Tuesday's show. So I wanted to make sure to address them here. And they were able to kind of all cover that topic of bracketology and NCAA tournament seating. So here, the first segment is just one question here from Jamie via Gmail. Jamie says, barring any bad losses before selection Sunday, it seems pretty certain the Zags will end up between a three seed and a five seed. That puts them potentially playing a one or two seed in the Sweet 16. That's no foregone conclusion, but fun to think about matchups. Of the eight teams currently projected to be on the one line or two line, which do you think is the best matchup for the Zags and which is the worst? Pick whichever bracketology source you prefer. All right, so what I decided to do here is we're just going to talk about all eight of them. We're going to talk about all eight teams that are currently projected as the top two seeds, one seed or two seed, in the NCAA tournament. This was based on the selection committee's projections on Saturday. Again, this will change almost certainly, but I want to go through one by one from the best matchup to the worst matchup for Gonzaga uh, based on these current seedings. Number one, the best matchup for Gonzaga among teams expected to be a one or a two seed in March, UCLA Bruins. UCLA is a very, very good defensive team, but they are a bit more inconsistent offensively. Uh, they're kind of missing that they're, they're missing that piece. They're missing a Johnny Juzang, quite honestly. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it is they're missing a guy like that who can go get a bucket. They have Jaime Jaquez. He's been fantastic. Uh, Adem Bona is a fantastic young player. Jalen Clark has really stepped up in a significant way for this team, but I think they're a good defensive team. I don't think they match up great with Gonzaga uh, sticking with Adem Bona. He's a great shot blocker, but he's very foul prone and he's young. Drew Timmy exploits guys like that really well, really well. If Drew can get into this game, get Bona in foul trouble, get into UCLA's depth in the front court, I think that would create a good matchup for Gonzaga. None of these games are going to be easy. If Gonzaga plays UCLA, I'm not saying, oh, psh, 
easy win for the Zags. Not at all. None of these games would be easy. But I think this is a matchup that could favor Gonzaga. If I was a UCLA fan, Gonzaga and Drew Timmy would not be a team that I would want to see in a Sweet 16 matchup. Moving on, the next uh, easiest matchup for Gonzaga in the Elite Eight or in the Sweet 16 facing a top team would be Tommy Lloyd and the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, I think this this matchup is very difficult to predict because these two coaches have such familiarity with each other. It changes the dynamic in a significant way. I don't know which direction. That's the hard part. I don't know whether it, because I think the instinct is like, well, it favors Mark Few. He's the more experienced coach. He knows everything about Tommy. Like, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that it necessarily favors Mark Few. I don't know that it favors either of them. It just makes it different. It makes it different. Arizona is inconsistent. They have lost some pretty bad games this year. They lost to Washington State. They've lost to Utah. Neither of those teams are particularly good. They lost to Stanford. Forgot to mention Stanford. Stanford is not only not particularly good, they're actively bad. And Arizona lost that team. Now, Gonzaga lost to LMU. And, you know, a lot of other teams here have warts. It's, I'm not trying to pick on Arizona specifically, but this team has shown some inconsistencies. If Azulis Tubelis and Umar Balo are not playing top-tier basketball, this team is susceptible to losing to just about anybody. Now, Gonzaga's front court defense is not particularly good. And saying, well, Azulis Tubelis playing poor is good news for the Zags. It's going to be hard for Gonzaga to make Azulis Tubelis play poorly. He's really, really good. He's six foot 11. He can handle the basketball. He's a matchup nightmare. Uh, I do think that while he's a tough matchup for the Zags, their guard room is not great. Cordy Ramey has been a nice addition for them. Kirk Risa has been solid, but a little inconsistent. Pella Larson was a guy expected to take a much bigger jump than he really has this year. So I think Arizona's a bit susceptible. I think that their guard room being not great could make for a, a decent matchup for Gonzaga in this one. Number three is one of the first number one seeds, the best matchup for Gonzaga amongst the number one seeds, and that is the Houston Cougars. I don't love this matchup, quite honestly, but you got to pick somebody here. Uh, Houston is a very, very good defensive team. They play a similar style to St. Mary's. Very good defense. Longer shot clocks, longer possessions on offense. I think their pace right now is 348th in the country. So, yeah, we're talking St. Mary's territory of grind it out, slow you down, take 28 seconds on the shot clock every single time, that kind of deal. But Houston doesn't have a ton of size, and I think that's where this could be an advantage for Gonzaga. Their leading shot blocker is Javier Francis. Excuse me. He's 6'8". And that doesn't mean that he's a you know, only – you're not a good shot blocker if you're under 6'8". Like, that's not what I'm saying. And it doesn't mean he would be unable to, to block Drew Timmy's shots or anything like that. But I do think that the size advantage would work for Gonzaga. Gonzaga wants to play faster, no doubt about that. But if they need to slow this thing down to a crawl, they might still be able to do it. However, the other issues here, Jairus Walker, big nightmare matchup. He's a, he's a nightmare matchup for anybody. He's a true freshman for Houston, 6'8", built like a linebacker, really, really tough. Anton Watson is going to be tasked with guarding him if this matchup happens, and I think he's going to be more capable than a lot of people in, the, in, in all the NCAA are, which is because Anton Watson's one of the best defensive players in the entire country, but I still think that's a tough matchup. And beyond that, you got to figure out what to do with Marcus Sasser, senior guard, veteran guy, probably a first-round or mid-second-round pick in the draft. Really, really tough player. This is a very, very good team. Next up is Baylor. I kind of struggled with where to put Baylor. Familiarity is a factor here. Obviously, Baylor beat Gonzaga earlier this year, but it was far from a, a disastrous loss for Gonzaga. Baylor has played really well as of late, has kind of put themselves back in the conversation for a two seed. Uh, they're the worst defensive team among the top eight seeded teams right now, which I think is part of the reason Gonzaga could take advantage here. Uh, they also are kind of 
this is where I struggle with it. Gonzaga proved they could beat them. Baylor isn't a very good defensive team. They also don't have a lot of low post presence. However, their guard play is elite. Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, Keontae George, phenomenal players. And when Baylor has really, really good guard play, they they can beat just about anybody. They did it to Gonzaga in that 2021 National Championship game. They did it in December against this team in an albeit uglier game. But I don't think this is an easy matchup, but I think it's clear based on watching these two teams play already that it is a winnable one. And people will say, oh, well, Baylor's a much better team than they were in early December. So is Gonzaga. So is Gonzaga. I think this would be a tough matchup. I think all of these would be tough matchups, but I think this is a, a particularly winnable game for the Zags. Four more teams to get through, and these are the tough ones. Next up, Texas, the Longhorns. Familiarity, again, might help in this one. Maybe Texas comes in a little bit arrogant. Maybe they feel like, hey, we took care of this team pretty easily last time. We can do it again. I think, A, it's hard to imagine Texas shoots that well again, especially on a neutral court in the NCAA tournament. Also, I think Gonzaga would be able to really figure out the blueprint of what went wrong last time and how can we fix it. Last time, part of the issue was Gonzaga was completely unprepared for a team taking away their ability to get Drew Timmy the basketball. We have seen Gonzaga make adjustments to that since then. They have found ways to be more creative about A, getting the ball to Drew Timmy when they need to, and B, having other creators step up. Julian Strother, in particular, the last few weeks has really done that. I don't think Gonzaga would be so dependent on we have to find a way to get Drew the ball if they played this team again. Of course, Texas, very, very good team, very good defensive team. Uh, I think their guards are, are experienced, are deep, are talented. They're not a very big team which is why Gonzaga was so hell-bent on getting Drew the ball last time. I think if they played a bit more of a balanced offense, Drew would still be able to go to work, and I think this would be a winnable game, but you got to put it's, – it's hard to expect a win against a team that pounded you earlier in the season. Next up, Alabama. It's kind of another team I kind of struggled with because they're the best team in the country right now, and I, it's hard to debate that, but Gonzaga beat them. Gonzaga beat them. They have proven definitively without a doubt that they are capable of beating this team more than any other team on this list. They have proven they can beat them because they have already beaten them. Alabama is one of the best defensive teams in the entire country, third ranked per Ken Palm, but the Zags hung a hundred on them. They hung a hundred on them the last time these two teams lived. I think this is an okay matchup for Gonzaga. Obviously, Brandon Miller is a really, really challenging player to defend, but Gonzaga beat them by kind of letting, not letting Brandon Miller do what he wanted, but allowing understanding that Brandon Miller was going to get his buckets and they just outscored him. They might try that again. And you know what? It might work. Next up, the second most difficult matchup, in my opinion, among the current top eight projected seeds, the Purdue Boilermakers. Again, another team that already beat Gonzaga and beat him pretty handily earlier this year. Uh, this is a team that it's a really hard matchup because of Zach Eadie. Gonzaga's front court defense is bad. That is one of their biggest areas of weakness on this team. Zach Eady is the best front court scorer in the country. And it's not close. It's not. Drew Timmy's probably second. Trace Jackson Davis is in that conversation. Of course, Oscar Shibwe, Armando Baycott, Hunter Dickinson. There's a handful of our guys. Azulis Tubelas, who we already mentioned. But Zach Eady is the best front, scorer, front court scorer in the country. Gonzaga doesn't have an answer for him on the defensive end of the floor. Purdue's guards are inconsistent. They played great the last time these two teams met. They would have to do it again for there to be a victory. They would have to do it again. Gonzaga's guards have gotten better since that game. I believe Purdue's guards have as well, but freshmen tend to wear out a little bit towards the end of the year. We've seen this with Purdue, who's lost three games in the last two weeks. They are a little bit fatigued. They're getting figured out. The Big Ten is a gauntlet, and they're struggling a bit. 
So while I think that this is one of the tougher matchups for Gonzaga just on paper, I think there's a chance that Gonzaga's more experienced guard room could actually take advantage of Purdue's guards and, and find a way to win a game here if this were the matchup. But Zach Eady is, is as tough of anybody in the entire country to guard. Final one here before we move on to the second segment, the toughest matchup for the Zags among the top eight seeded teams, the Jayhawks of Kansas, the defending national champions, the Big 12 champions right now, the Jayhawks. This team is really good, and they really don't match up well with Gonzaga. They can space the floor as well as anybody. Grady Dick has been fantastic this year. Jalen Wilson is a machine. Kevin McCuller is not a great scorer, but he's a good facilitator. He's a very, very good defensive player. They have length. They have athleticism. They have multiple guys who can score. They can shoot from beyond the arc. They can score around the rim. This is a really good, balanced, tough team. Didn't even mention Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris is one of the best point guards in the entire country. He's averaging about eight and a half points per game, but over six assists. He facilitates, he distributes the ball. Their shooters space the floor. Their length on the defensive end is really, really challenging. They don't have a ton of size, but I think Kansas is a really, really tough team. They've bit themselves in the butt a few times this year. Maybe that would happen again. But if I saw Gonzaga facing up against Kansas, they'd have to play one of, if not the very best game of the season in order to secure a victory in that one. All right, plenty more to talk about with the NCAA tournament seeding and potential matchups the Zags might have after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel, Sport- FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drained. Maybe you like DeMontis Simonis to keep putting up huge numbers for Sacramento. Maybe you like Zach Collins in his new role with the Spurs to keep up the high production. Maybe you want to make an exclusive bet like Corey Kispert hitting two threes in the first three minutes of Washington's next game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, make sure to check out the Locked On College Basketball podcast. Like I said, it's almost March. We're talking all things college basketball, Big 12, Big East, ACC, mid-major teams, everything that you want to know about college basketball covered five times a week, 30 minutes per day. Fantastic guests, experts, insiders, coaches, players. Locked On College Basketball. It's available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, segment two here. I want to talk about a trio of mailbag questions that I was unable to get to on Tuesday's episode, all regarding bracketology. We're just going to go through those here uh, in the second segment before closing out the show, talking about the NBA All-Star Game, Andrew Nemhard and DeMontis Sabonis, their appearances there, who might be next in line to appear there. Uh, first, though, this question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, what do you think of the bracket reveal with Gonzaga as the four seed out West and St. Mary's as a five seed? Looks like the committee gave the WCC a fair amount of respect, and it looks like it set up a situation where the winner of the Gonzaga St. Mary's game is almost guaranteed to be a top four seed playing in the West region. Yeah, I wouldn't guarantee anything. I, I get what you're saying, Jeff, and I think that there's a very good chance that the team that wins on Saturday gets that spot. There's still a lot of basketball to be played. There's still a WCC tournament to be played. Who knows? 
Maybe BYU or LMU shock the world. I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying you should predict on it. You can go to FanDuel and you can look at those odds, but I'm not sure I'm taking them necessarily. But I do think that while it's likely that that's what ends up happening, we have seen the committee do some surprising things in the past. Gonzaga is going to get the benefit of the doubt. That's just, that's going to happen. That doesn't mean that they're going to guarantee to four seed necessarily, but I think if they lost to St. Mary's, where they would drop would be less than where St. Mary's would drop. And to an extent, that's probably okay. St. Mary's has worse losses on their resume than Gonzaga. There's no debate about that. There's not. St. Mary's lost to Colorado State and Washington. Gonzaga did not. Gonzaga lost to LMU, but so did St. Mary's. So I do think Gonzaga's resume is better. They have a win over Alabama. That's a monstrous win. If St. Mary's had picked up that win over Houston, they played them real close, but they ended up losing. If they had picked up that win, that would have helped, but they didn't. But I also think St. Mary's is probably less likely to get, I think that a loss hurts them more. Let's put it that way. And again, in some ways it probably should, but I, I have a kind of a sinking feeling in some ways. And maybe those of you who are passionately anti-St. Mary's, which to eat, you know, no, no hate there. I get it. Uh, maybe you wouldn't feel the same way, but I feel like if St. Mary's loses, they might drop to the dreaded seven, seven seed. They might even drop to an eight, nine if they lose to Gonzaga both on Saturday at the McCarthy Athletic Center and in Las Vegas a few weeks later, even if they win every other game and they lose those two, I think there's a chance that they get really hammered by the the Selection Sunday committee. They drop all the way to an eight or a nine and have to play a one seed in the second round. I don't want that to happen to them because I think they deserve better than that, but it is what I kind of foresee potentially happening. Gonzaga's in a better spot. Gonzaga could lose on Saturday to St. Mary's. I hope they don't. You all listening probably hope they don't either. But if that were to happen, it would probably bump Gonzaga down to a five. It might bump St. Mary's up to a four. They would deserve it at that point. If Gonzaga then splits and wins in Vegas, it'll be interesting to see what happens. A split between these two teams is kind of a fascinating situation. Do they both get five seeds? Does one of them still stay on the four line? If so, which one? Do they both drop below five seeds? Does one stay a five and St. Mary's gets like a six or a seven? Is that fair? Lots of interesting conversations that are going to come out of, of how these two teams end up getting seated, how the committee views them. I think that some bias regarding the, the notoriety of the programs will probably exist. But like I said, Gonzaga does have a better resume than St. Mary's. So if they end up seated higher, it's not necessarily just because of that kind of preconceived notion about the program. It also is because they have put together a better season. Again, depending on how these last two games between these two teams go uh, in Spokane and in Vegas. Next question here, another one from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, what do you think about the potential bracket draw the committee gave to Gonzaga as a four seed? Sure, a potential run of five seed Creighton, one seed Kansas, and two seed Arizona would be very challenging. But those teams also play game styles that seem to play to Gonzaga's strengths. So the Zags could fare pretty well there. Yeah, obviously, I already kind of talked about those the matchups with Arizona and Kansas in particular, I think Kansas is a really hard matchup, a really, really hard matchup. I kind of already explained why in that first segment, but if Gonzaga ended up getting Kansas in a sweet 16 where they would need to win to play Arizona, that's really tough. That's really, really tough. And being a four seed is hard. I mean, it's it's just a hard place to be. You got to play a one and then you got to play a two, three, and it's just, it's a difficult kind of stretch to be in. But Kansas seems like a really, really hard matchup for Gonzaga. I'd rather get Purdue, if possible, I'd rather get Alabama. I'd, I'd rather get Houston than than Kansas. Personally, I think that all of those teams are are easier matchups for Gonzaga. Not necessarily worse teams, just easier matchups for Gonzaga. Arizona is obviously interesting. We talked about it again already, but Arizona to me is just 
they are beatable. They are, you can exploit their weaknesses. Their guards are not great scorers. Their depth is questionable more than it has been in the past. Azulis Tubelis is fantastic and one of the best scorers in the country, but when he's not on, that team really struggles. And a lot of these things you can say about Gonzaga, and I think that that's fair. I, I think that's certainly fair to say if, you st- if Drew Timmy struggles, Gonzaga struggles. And with the exception of the last few weeks, that's generally been true for the Zags. Now, Arizona has two high-level, low-post scorers in Azulis Tubelis and, of course, former Zag Umar Balo. Zags don't really have that. Anton Watson's a fantastic player, but he's not an elite low-post scorer necessarily. A Gonzaga-Arizona matchup would be interesting because Arizona relies on Balo's defensive abilities and shot blocking significantly. Whether he would be more equipped to handle Drew Timmy from having played him for a season or less equipped because Drew Timmy would be more familiar with his defensive tendencies kind of remains to be seen. There's a lot of fascinating aspects of a matchup between Gonzaga and Arizona. And before we move on, Creighton is no slouch either. Playing a five-seeded Creighton in the round of 32, that's rough. I think Creighton's the, if Creighton ends up on the five line, which I think that they'll move up. If Creighton is on the five line, that's a five-seed that nobody wants to play. Nobody wants to play that team. Ryan Nemhard, Ryan Kalkbrenner are one of the best center point guard combinations in the entire country. Baylor Shireman is a fantastic addition for that team. Transfer from South Dakota State. Zags were in on him. Man, that would have been a fun addition for this team. Six foot six, can score from anywhere on the court. High level passer, very good rebounder. Him and the two other, and Kalkbrenner and Nemhard, that trio is elite. The depth on that Creighton team is really, really good. Uh, for Gonzaga to even face Kansas and face Arizona in this potential bracket, they'd have to get by Creighton. And while I think they're capable of beating that team, certainly, it is not going to be an easy one. Final question of the segment here comes from Julian at Epileptic Truth on Twitter, who says, who will Gonzaga's toughest opponent from the NCAA tournament be? A mid-major or power five, which will prove more difficult? Obviously, it's impossible to say right now. I know that's a cop-out answer, but we just we just don't know. We don't know what the bracket's going to look like. We don't know who Gonzaga's going to face. We don't know how many games they're going to play. So many different factors that go into that. I've kind of mentioned it already, and I'll just kind of reiterate it here. The teams that give Gonzaga the most trouble or the teams that I'm projecting will give Gonzaga the most trouble in the NCAA tournament are teams that have elite guard play can put pressure on Gonzaga's guards. So length on the wing, length on the perimeter, high level individual defensive players, as well as teams that can shoot. Obviously any team that can shoot is going to be good, but teams that really shoot it well from beyond the arc stretch Gonzaga's defense in ways that they're haven't proven particularly capable at handling quite honestly. So you look at some elite power five programs that fit that mold, obviously Kansas and Baylor are teams we talked about already. Some not top two seed teams that I think are, are, are significant challenges. I've seen Miami at times uh, projected to be a team that would play Gonzaga in the second round. And I hate that. I really, really dislike that matchup for Gonzaga. I think Jim Laraniega is a fantastic coach. Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong is an elite backcourt. I think that team would give Gonzaga all sorts of problems. And there's Indiana. Indiana is kind of similar to Gonzaga in some ways. Jalen hood Shafino is a young, talented, but a little bit inconsistent guard. Trace Jackson Davis is a fantastic low post player who doesn't have any kind of an outside shot. So there's some similarities there, but Indiana is a really good shooting team and they have a lot of length uh, on the rest of their team. And I think they'd cause a lot of problems. Meanwhile, there's some mid-major programs that are going to be lower seeds in March that would cause some significant issues for Gonzaga as well. One of them is Kent State. Kent State's a team that Gonzaga already played this year, already gave them significant issues. I've mentioned on this podcast before that if Kent State ends up as a 12 seed, 
unless they're playing Creighton. If Creighton's the five seed, I'm probably picking Creighton. But there's a lot of other situations where I'm picking Kent State to win that first round game, depending on who they're matching up against, because I think they're really, really good. Utah State's a borderline NCAA tournament team and the second highest three-point shooting percentage in the entire country. UC Irvine is also a fantastic three-point shooting team as a potential 13 or 14 seed. The Anteaters there. I think those are the kind of mid-major teams that I don't think Gonzaga loses to any of them necessarily, but I think they'd give Gonzaga some significant trouble just based on the skills that those teams possess. All right, closing out the show, looking at the NBA All-Star Weekend festivities, which involved a pair of Zags and could someday involve many more Zags right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, still talking all-star weekend hoops here the week it ended last week andrew nemhard participated demontis sabonis participated for those of you watching on youtube repping the sabonis pacers jersey also got the nemhard pacers jersey <laughs> kind of had to had to pick which one of them i wanted to rep here uh, andrew nemhard had a very fun brief exposure to the nba all-star rising stars challenge uh, he had a very sick behind the back pass to jose alvarado for those of you who did not catch it it was fantastic highlight in a game that was you know, it was only like, I think it was a 25-20 score, a short game. He played about four and a half minutes in it, but still really cool to see Nemhard. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, about his rise, his success, him, how him making the Rising Stars Challenge in itself is a crazy story. How him being the highest paid, the highest guaranteed contract in second round history in the NBA is a fantastic story. And it's in it in it of itself, and for him to come out and you know, put up nearly a 30-point triple-double against Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, for him to hit a game-winning three over LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, and now for him to be in the Rising Stars games playing playing alongside players like Benedict Matherin from Arizona, his teammate in Indiana, uh, Scotty Barnes from Toronto, guy picked one spot ahead of Jalen Suggs last year, Paolo Bancaro, guy picked one spot ahead of Chet Holmgren last year, also the number one overall pick in the draft, uh, Jaden Ivey uh, from Purdue, currently for the Detroit Pistons from Purdue. I'm always thinking about guys and where they went to college. Uh, but for him to be on that team alongside those guys, Keegan Murray on that roster as well, of course, Jose Alvarado, who we mentioned, just proves that he really belongs here. He doesn't just belong in the NBA. He belongs in this class, in this conversation, alongside these players. And that's really cool. <laughs> it's, it's really, really cool. He recently compared his game to Drew Holiday. And he mentioned, he said in his quote, he's like, I know I'm not as good as Drew Holiday right now, but that's who I kind of envision myself being. And like a year ago, Nemhard saying that would have been crazy. It would have sounded insane. And now it's like, okay, yeah, he's obviously not Drew Holiday yet, but it doesn't even sound that crazy. Like that's a, that's a top tier best case outcome for Andrew Nemhard. And I'm not saying I project him to have a career that necessarily aligns closely with Holiday's overall but the fact that it's not that crazy anymore, the fact that, oh, yeah, he is a, a high-level player on both ends of the floor. He's a good passer. He's a good outside shooter. He's a distributor, all that stuff. Like, you can see it. It doesn't take as much squinting as you might have thought it would, and that is awesome for him. Continue to celebrate the accomplishments of Andrew Nembhard because it has been one of the, the most fun stories to follow in Gonzaga basketball over the last five, ten-plus years, uh, at least with regards to NBA guys. DeMontis Sabonis also participated in the NBA All-Star festivities. He was in the All-Star game. Six points, four boards in 12 minutes. And look, I'm not going to give the All-Star game a ton of airtime. Uh, anybody who watched it knows that it was kind of boring and that the players didn't 
try all that hard. Uh, there's not a lot of incentive for them to try hard. It was the end of a long weekend. I think guys were a little hungover or, or a little partied out. They didn't want to get hurt. And, and I get it. I get it if people were frustrated by it. I don't particularly care. Uh, but if people are like mad, like whatever, I can understand why you might feel that way. Um, Sabonis was never going to be a guy who he's not a super flashy player. That's not really his style. So I don't expect him to put up big all-star game numbers, nor do I think again, that it matters all that much. He was the last player picked for team Giannis kind of, they drafted the reserves first and then drafted the starter second, I think as a way to prevent a player from getting picked last, which like, whatever. We're not sixth graders anymore. Like I think it's fine for that to happen. I, I would have expected DeMontis Sabonis to be one of the last players picked just because he isn't a all-star game type player, if that makes sense. Not that he's undeserving of being an all-star. He's absolutely deserving. He just doesn't really play the style of game that lends itself to being the kind of guy you'd play in an all-star game, if that makes sense. Having said that, DeMontis Sabonis is now a three-time all-star. He's been an all-star in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, and that's really freaking cool. It's really cool. Three-time All-Star, only Zag ever to make an All-Star in both conferences. Fantastic stuff from him. The last thing I want to talk about here before we call it a day is kind of what's next for the Zags with regards to the NBA All-Star Weekend. 2024 NBA All-Star Weekend, who's going to be there from Gonzaga? From the Rising Stars game, there's a couple options. One, Andrew Nemhard, freshman and freshman. Rookies and sophomores, second-year players, are both eligible for the NBA All-Star Rising Stars Challenge. If Andrew Nemhard has a successful year again next year, he could absolutely be back in this conversation. Of course, Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren likely going to be a participant in this game, assuming he is healthy next season. And then there's Julian Strother. I've talked about Strother potentially sneaking his way into the first round of the upcoming NBA draft. If he does that and plays well in the first half of next season, could find himself there as well. 2024 All-Star Game. Sabonis would be a four-time All-Star were he to make it out of the Western Conference next season. I was think there's a chance Chet Holmgren could do it. Crazier things have happened. Chet Holmgren being a All-Star in his first actual NBA season, quite honestly, wouldn't shock me. Again, he's got to be healthy. He's got to be not on a minutes restriction in a situation where Oklahoma City is willing to play him enough minutes to put up All-Star caliber numbers. But if that happens, yeah, wouldn't shock me. Three-point shootout. Will we see a zag in the three-point shootout again? Corey Kispert's probably the best option. He's shooting 41.5% this year. Which let's, let's think about that for a second. 41.5% for Corey Kispert as an NBA three-point shooter. That is fantastic. Is he well-known enough to participate in the three-point shootout? Probably not. But he's a good enough three-point shooter to do it. Next up, Chet. I'm just going to keep talking about Chet because Chet could participate in all these events. He really could. Chet in the three-point shootout would be awesome. It would be awesome. It would be so fun to watch. I don't know how you would do. It's hard to say, but I would love to watch that. And then, of course, the most fun game in the dunk, the most fun event at the All-Star Weekend is the dunk contest. Mac McClung winning it this year was really, really fun. Uh, as a non-NBA player, as a G League guy, it was fantastic to see. For the Zags, the most fun clearly would be Jalen Suggs. I would love it if Jalen Suggs found his way into the dunk contest. I think that would be absolutely awesome. And I'm saying that, of course, as a Gonzaga fan, I'm not pretending to not be saying that as a Gonzaga fan, but people should want this. He is a high-level athlete. He's a smaller guy who could excel in the dunk contest. I think it'd be awesome. Brandon Clark could do it too, and I think that'd be fun. I don't think he would. I don't know that it would be as fun just because of his size. It's more fun when smaller guys do well in the dunk contest, at least to me. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. And then finally, 
Chet, let's do it again. Why not? Would Chet ever do a dunk contest? No. Would it be very good if he did? I don't know. Probably not, quite honestly. But it would be fun. And why not? Let's get Chet in everything. Let's get Chet in the Rising Stars game, the All-Star game, the three-point shootout, the dunk contest. Uh, Should he do it all in one year? God, no. Should he do it all ever? Probably not. But I just miss watching Chet Holmgren play basketball. So let's figure out a way to get him involved in every single All-Star game tournament and festivities that we can in 2024. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast if you haven't done so yet. It is available wherever you get your podcasts. It is available on YouTube as well. Go to YouTube, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, go to Locked On Zags and hit that subscribe button as well. It is very much appreciated. All right, thank you all for listening. Big game coming up on Saturday. So, of course, the energy is going to be there when we say go Zags.